<clears throat> Our gracious Father, once again we come before you and ask that you would be with us as we endeavor to uh, rightly divide the word of truth and uh, glorify thy Son, Jesus Christ, and trust that what is said will be to the benefit of all who hear. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We come now to the fourth chapter of 1 John. And as uh, I think I've done each time, I'll go ahead and read this whole fourth chapter and then we'll come back and look probably, uh, I doubt we may not even get out of the first three verses. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that knoweth not knoweth not God. Excuse me. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifest the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. And... We have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever therefore shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, 
that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. All right, let's come back to these first three verses. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that Spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world." These first three verses show the difference between the false spirit and the true spirit. But notice that this letter is still addressed to the beloved and not to ministers or some who are specially skilled in scriptural knowledge. All of God's people are to be involved in trying the spirits. It's not just the preachers that are to try the spirits. It's not just deacons and preachers. It's not just spiritual giants, but every child of grace is to be so proficient in the Scriptures to be able to determine a true spirit from a false spirit. Too often... People think that the preacher or the pastor or the minister is the one that is to do all of this to determine who's true and who's false. But this is not the case. In fact, what this passage is really saying is that the preacher or the minister or the pastor or the teacher or whoever you want to put in here, he's not to do the evaluation. He's to be evaluated. Think about that. We who stand before you to preach and teach the Scriptures 
are to be under the judgment of the saints of God, particularly the congregation of God. Not the denomination, but the congregation. For you see, there's really no denomination in the Scriptures. It's the saints of God. And it is the saints of God that are to know the difference between truth and error. That's how well you are to know the Scriptures. You are to know the Scriptures. Now this evaluation is not to be done by some spirit. I mean, you're not to evaluate some spirits. You're to evaluate every spirit. That means me every minister all are to be evaluated even angelic spirits if an angel were to appear to you you should be able to evaluate an angel because, beloved, someday you who are children of God are going to judge angels. Do you know that? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'll start at verse 1. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? God's Word teaches us that fellow church members, particularly, are not to be going to the world to settle their differences. Let's just take the common, one common fault. A husband and a wife, members of a congregation, They get it out with each other and they wind up in going to the courts of the land and get a divorce. And what should be done with a husband and a wife that's a member of a congregation, if they get it out with each other, they should listen to the congregation. The congregation ought to judge them. 
And if one or both of them will not listen to the congregation, they are to become, according to Matthew 18, a heathen and a publican. In other words, if they're not going to listen to the judgment of the congregation to settle their difference, then they're acting like an unbeliever. And they're to be treated like an unbeliever. But what do you find? Too often today, when you find uh, something like that taking place, then uh, one or the other will go to the, uh, the courts of the land and they'll wind up and get a settlement of some sort and later on a, uh, maybe even a divorce. And sometimes both of them wind up still being members. Look at verse 2. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge in the smallest matters? Know ye not that ye shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? He's not talking about preachers. He's not talking about deacons. He's talking about members. You are to judge. But just about every congregation throughout the land is so weak, they can't, don't have enough spiritual discernment to do that. In a lot of congregations, they have so-called eldership rule, and the elders do all of the judging. Or the preacher does all the judging. And it's the preacher that does this, and the preacher that does that, when it's supposed to be the congregation, the saints. Even angels. You're going to judge angels. You say, well, that doesn't make sense to me. How's that going to happen? When's that going to happen? What? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But it says it's going to happen. And I believe God. I've got a spot in my eschatological uh, doctrine of where I think it'll be. I think it'll be in the millennium. But I could be wrong about that too. So, but I do know it's going to happen. Because God said so. Look at 1 Kings 22. 1 Kings chapter 22. You should know the story of Micaiah and how that God wanted to get Ahab and 
into battle. I say God wanted, I should say God determined. But for time's sake, we'll just skip, look at verse 22. Well, let's look at verse 20. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? Now here you, you, you uh, God has pulled the drapes back and given you a picture of what's going on in the glory world, in heaven. And you've got God there Well, look, look at verse 19. And he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on His throne, and all the host of heaven standing by Him on His right hand and on His left. Alright? God showed Micaiah a picture in glory. God sitting on His throne and all of the angelic hosts before Him. That includes archangels, cherubims, seraphims, and any other kind of angel. All the host. All the host. Some may say that this might include saints who have gone on to be with the Lord in their spirits. Well, I don't know whether saints were there or not. Might be. But it said all the hosts of heaven, whatever that includes. We know it includes the angelic host. And the Lord said to this whole group of angels, who's going to persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? Now, Ramoth Gilead Right here. It's on the east side of the Jordan River. And there was a city, a real city. And God in heaven said, I want Ramoth, I want Ahab. It is my determination that Ahab go to Ramoth Gilead and be killed. Now how are we going to get how are we going to get Rahab, um, not Rahab, Ahab, sorry. How are we going to get Ahab to Ramoth Gilead? And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. 
I'll persuade Ahab to go to Ramoth Gilead. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? In other words, how are you going to do this? And he said, I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, Thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets. In other words, Micaiah is telling everybody there that all of these prophets of yours, Ahab, they're liars. It was a it was a angel somehow persuaded these preachers to tell a lie. You see that, don't you? That's as plain as day. You say, well, I don't understand it. God didn't say understand it. But He did say this, that we, all of the beloved, are to try the spirits. Not only preachers, but even angels. Are you competent to do that? If not, why? Now that's what we're going to be looking at in these three verses. I'll quickly give you the outline of the chapter. In other words, these three verses are the false spirit from the true spirit. Verses 4 through 6 is overcoming the false spirits. Verses twelve through 7 through 12 excuse me, is loving one another. Verses 13 through 15 is dwelling in God. And verses 16 through 21, the commandment of love restated. But false spirits and true spirits. What is a spirit? I've got several, we're going to look at several passages. But I want you to know, I want you to learn from all of these passages that we're going to look at what a the difference between a true spirit and a false spirit. And I want you to know that we're talking about primarily preachers. It may include angels, as we've seen that, 
either indirectly or it could be directly in some cases. I know that in the book of Daniel, we'll see angels uh, active directly. Uh, Whether an angel will come to you today or not directly, I'll just leave that up to God. I do know that it says in Hebrews that we are to entertain strangers because some have entertained angels unawares. You say, well, uh, you know, there's movies made about angels coming and helping people out and all of that. Well, most of those movies that talk about angels coming and uh, do all of that, that's just a bunch of junk. I think there's a so-called Christmas movie or something about uh, Jimmy Stewart was in and some angels supposedly came to him. I forgot the name of the movie or something. But uh, that was just a, that's a bunch of junk. But can an angel come? He can. Do angels come? I don't know. I've never seen one that I know of. (laughs) But if one were to come, you are to be so skilled in the Scriptures that you can discern whether he's genuine or not. And I'll give you a sneak preview. It doesn't matter what the angel does that determines whether he's a good angel or a bad angel. It's what he says. It's what he says. And the answer to that will be found, first of all, in Deuteronomy chapter 13. Whether it's an angel or whether it is a person, a human being, Start at verse 1. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder come to pass. 
whereof he spake unto thee, saying, In other words, he, he performs a miracle. And the miracle comes to pass. But he says, notice what he says, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. See, it's not what he does, it's what he says. And if he says, let's go after another god, let's go after a false doctrine, let's go after a novel teaching, Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice and shall serve Him and cleave unto Him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Because he hath spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage, to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in, so shall thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. Same thing if it's a brother or your mother or your son or your daughter or your wife or, the, or your friend. It doesn't matter who it is. You're to put them away from you. You're not to go after them. And if it's a preacher or a teacher, television evangelist, denominational uh Leader, I don't care who it is, if he's not preaching the truth of the gospel, he's a false prophet. Period. And I know that sometimes it's really, really, really a fine line of distinction but you're to know it. You're to know it. Somebody say, well, if somebody come and raises the dead, I'll believe in Him. Depends on what He says. I don't care if they do raise the dead. If they do, it'll be through the devil. You say, well, can the devil do that? I don't know. There's a passage. I don't think I have it in my outline. Let me see if I can find it right quickly. Uh, look in Revelation chapter 13. Verse 11. I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exerciseth 
all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Whatever these beasts are, and he doeth great wonders, he, not it, This beast, whatever this beast is. We went through that when we studied through Revelation. I'm not going to go through that now. I believe it's, it, it's something or somebody. And he, the beast, doeth great wonders so that he, Make a fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth. He deceives the earth dwellers. He doesn't deceive the elect, but he does see the earth dwellers. How do we know he doesn't deceive the elect? Look at verse 8 up above that. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship Him that is the first beast, whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. You need to realize the those that dwell on the earth are the earth dwellers. They're the non-believers in the book of Revelation. But the believers don't they're not followed, they're not deceived by the beasts. They're not deceived by false prophets. Matthew 24 tells us that. But this deceives them that dwell on the earth, the earth dwellers, by the means of those miracles which He had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which, should, which had, wound, had the wound by the sword and did live. In other words, this beast, the second beast, is saying that you're to worship a false god. You see that? That's an antichrist. You say, is it the antichrist? It might be. But we do know it is an antichrist from 1 John 4 and other places. Notice this. And he had power to give life to the image of the beast. He had power, the second beast had power to give life to the image, not to the beast, but to the image of the beast. You say, is that really going to happen? I believe it will. I don't know when it'll happen. But what I'm trying to say, as plain as I can say, anybody or anything that comes along, and I don't care what they do, I don't care how many miracles they may perform, I don't care what... It's not what they do, it's what they say. 
And if they try to steer you away from the sovereign God of heaven and earth, the one who chose us in Christ Jesus before the world began, you are to not do have anything to do with it. Paul in Galatians 1 verses 6 through 9 tells us how many gospels are there? One gospel. It's essential that you, dear saint, know what that gospel is. And to make sure that I'm preaching the true gospel. Verse 15 again in Revelation 13. He had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak. The image should speak. He said, well, how can that be? Now, don't go jump into conclusions, but I'll just throw this out for what it may be worth. It might include artificial intelligence. I don't know. I don't know. I did see a little clip not long ago on YouTube where a robot was playing ping pong with a man and the robot won. Now, I don't know whether the video that I saw was... uh, manipulated some way to make it look like a robot when it really wasn't a robot or something or whether it's really real or not but it sure looked real to me and you've seen some of these champion ping pong players how they can knock that ball around which is amazing to me I don't see how some of those champion ping pong players can do what they can do but this robot was playing a champion Ping pong player. You say, well, that's a bunch of science fiction stuff. Some of it may be, some of it may not be. Let me finish reading verse 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. You say, well, that's, that's, that's just a bunch of symbolic language. And that, that's not really talking about what it's saying. Well, I don't know that. I believe God meant what He said when He put that in there. And He didn't say this is symbolism. He did say later on, in, uh, or maybe before that, in the book of Revelation, He did call Jerusalem Sodom. There is symbolic language in the book of Revelation. I'm not denying that. I'm saying that we don't know 
what all God may allow the devil to do. Did he not show the Lord Jesus Christ all the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time? How did he do that? I don't know. How did he show Micaiah that scene in heaven where all the host of angelic host was around the throne of God? How did he show Stephen the Lord Jesus Christ standing when Stephen was being stoned? How did the human body of the Lord Jesus Christ lift up from the earth and go back to be seated at the right hand of God in heaven? Where is heaven? Are these fiction or are they real? They're real just as real as you're sitting in your pews. And if you are to be able to try the spirits, you must know the Word of God. He's not talking about a vapor in a test tube. Try the spirits. Weigh the spirits. When I was in college in organic chemistry, the last thing we had to do in our lab that I can remember, I think it was the last thing, I was given a little bottle about three inches tall about an inch square or round, I forgot which, had a cork in it, had a liquid in it, and I had to find out what was in that bottle. I had to run a series of tests and write down on a piece of paper all the elements that were in, what, that was in that bottle. I don't remember what all was in the bottle. Some people uh, had a bottle that was so complicated it either took them two or three three-hour labs to figure it all out. God had mercy on this old farm boy. I was able to uh, do a couple of three tests and it eliminated just about everything <laughs> and I didn't have I, I remember it, mine was pretty simple if I had to do it today I'd be dumbfounded <laughs> but anyway but what I'm saying is I had to try the bottle I didn't have just an empty bottle of air in it 
That's not what he's talking about trying the spirits. You know, we don't see a spirit. He's talking about people. Maybe angels occasionally, but it's people. Well, we looked at Deuteronomy 13. Look at Jeremiah chapter 29. Verse 8. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which ye cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them. How do you know? How do you know whether a prophet or a dreamer of dreams is true or not? Is he speaking according to the Word of God? See, it it doesn't matter what you see. It doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter what you hear. It doesn't matter what you taste. It's not by your senses. It's by what the Word of God says. Most, hear me well, many, I'll say many, if not most, modern day Bible scholars, Bible philosophers, Bible apologists, build their Beliefs on empirical or the senses of man and not on thus saith the Word of God. You are to know the Word of God and live by the Word of God regardless of your senses. Let's go on lest I digress too much. Second Corinthians chapter four. Beloved, what I am teaching is essential 
And every minister, in my opinion, ought to know it. And every young minister ought to be taught it. And very few not only don't know it, but there's very few that know enough to teach what I'm teaching. Because too many people go by what they feel. In fact, most people, when they're asked a question, what do you feel like? What do you feel about so and so? Or what do you feel about this? What do you feel about that? They don't say, what do you think? And if you know the answer from the Word of God, you say, I believe. Blah, 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 whatever God's Word says. It's not I think. It's what does God's Word say. Not what you think, what God's Word says. And if you don't know what God's Word says, then there's only three things you can say. I don't know. That's what it boils down to. If you don't know what God's Word says about something, then you need to say, I don't know. I was talking to my barber yesterday. Just about every time I go there, he has a question. And he said yesterday, well, I got a question I want to ask you. He said, uh, you probably get tired of my questions. I said, no, I never get tired of your questions. Later on, I did say kind of humorously, I said, it's not the questions that bothers me, it's the answers. <laughs> you know, I don't know, I always know the answer. But anyway, uh, he was talking about something. and uh, uh, But later on, he after we discussed that that he brought up, uh, he got to talking about cremation. And he said, you know, he didn't have any problem with cremation and so on and so forth and that God could raise the body and, and so on. And the Bible says dust to dust and ashes to ashes and so on. I said, well, I differ with you. I said, I don't agree with you on that. I said, I've preached against cremation. We've got a sermon on our website against cremation where I've preached it, that it's a mark of pagan society. I said, in every place in the Scriptures, every place in the Scriptures where God, where a believer died and we're told what happened to him, they were buried and God even buried Moses. And Christ was buried. And I said, the burning of a body is the judgment of God upon that burning. Sodom and Gomorrah, judgment of God. Some of the death penalties under the Old Testament was the burning of the body. In other words... I didn't say, well, I think. 
I told him what the Word of God said. Now whether he accepts it or, or, or not, that's between him and God. But he's without excuse if he wants to save a little money and have himself cremated. We're to answer according to the Word of God. That's what I'm saying. And you need to know your Bible. And I went ahead to tell him. He said, well, I've never heard a sermon on it. I said, I know it. Well, I didn't say that. I said, that's right. I said, the reason that most people don't know about cremation is because preachers haven't preached on it and they won't preach on it. They're too too busy building family life centers and gymnasiums and uh, having all other sorts of having music and a bunch of other stuff and programs uh, instead of getting down to what the Word of God says. Second Corinthians chapter 4, excuse me, chapter 11. Verse 4, For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, See, Paul didn't say, my Jesus will save you and somebody else's Jesus may save you too. See, Paul said, no, if, you, if somebody comes along preaching some, another Jesus that I'm not preaching. Or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. For time's sake, drop down to verse 12. But what I do, I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves in to the apostles of Christ, and no marvel for Satan himself transformed is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Paul didn't make any bones about these people that preach another Jesus. And neither should we. Neither should you. Remember, who is it that are to try the spirits? The beloved. The people of God. Who is the spirit that is to be tried? The preacher. Me. Me. You're to know whether I'm preaching the truth or not. And if I'm not, you're to throw me out on my ears. Verse 13. 
You're not to have anything to do with me. I don't have the last word. God does. I don't have the last word. God does. And that's what you're to know. Well, I've got a bundle of more Scriptures. And if it takes two or three sermons to get through these bundle of Scriptures, we're going to do it because this is important. It is so little taught in the day in which we live that it needs to be shouted from the housetop. And I'm going to do my, my little part <laughs> in my little section of the kingdom. God being my helper. Let's pray. Holy Father, raise up a standard throughout all the saints of God. And may your ministers be burdened to teach this truth. My Father, sometimes in the past I've preached on a, a subject and I talked to other ministers and lo and behold, that same day they preached on the same subject or something similar to it. And you get on the internet and you see several other people of different people across the land that also have taught on the same thing. And it makes us wonder. And I know that you could raise up a standard throughout all the saints and all your ministers at the same time to teach this truth of the importance of the people of God knowing the Scriptures, knowing the Scriptures, knowing the Scriptures, that they be able to discern a false prophet from a true. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.